Hello, everyone. Welcome to the awaited comeback of Crypto Scam. Uh, I know it's been over a year since the last episode of Crypto Scam, or close to a year. And I do apologize for that, but I am bringing back the podcast. And what better topic uh, to bring the podcast back with than Ethereum? Um, Ethereum was actually one of the reasons why this podcast kind of stopped. I intended through four parts of Crypto Scam Ethereum, and I had a huge problem finding uh, the right guests that were willing to discuss uh, all of the problems involved in Ethereum. Uh, you saw me do the first episode on the Ethereum crypto scam, which centered around the centralization of Ethereum from a regulatory perspective, as Jason Seibert and I uh, talked about how it's an unlicensed, unregistered security. And Jason Seibert is, of course, uh, you know, a very uh, esteemed securities lawyer. Uh, here in part two of Crypto Scam, we are going to zoom in on smart contracts and are they even needed? Like, what are smart contracts and what is Ethereum's value proposition for those smart contracts? And uh, uh, part three, which I'm still looking for uh, the right co host, we're going to concentrate on the technology of Ethereum and why it can't scale technologically. Uh, ignoring the fact that they're in unlicensed security, ignoring the fact that no one actually needs the smart contracts, which we will discuss here. And uh, we're just going to focus on their technological incapabilities. And then in part four, we're going to talk about the economic side of it and focus in on the concept of the application token. So uh, for this episode, my guest, uh, the gentleman's name is Johnny Dilly. I have known Johnny Dilly for years. You may have seen him on my channel uh, debating Roger Veer back at Anarchapoco uh, 2016. Um, actually, no, I'm sorry, 2017. Uh, in February 2017, he debated Roger Veer over big blocks. Uh, so one of the reasons why I grabbed Johnny Dilly for this interview is because I recently heard him on the Noted podcast, and he did an amazing job summing up Ethereum. I'm actually going to play that now. And uh, just the last uh, 10 to 12 minutes or so of the noted podcast from approximately a month ago uh, in um, early June. And then from there, uh, Johnny will come on and we're going to dive deeper into the concept of smart contracts and Ethereum. Uh, all right. So I'm glad we, we got that rant in. Uh, so I love that. Uh, and now without... Without calling or without questioning the value of anyone's life, uh, can we talk about Ethereum and the problems we have <laughs> well, with Ethereum? No. So look, look, look. I, 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 t I talk about I talk about this often. Like, I think that if Ethereum were to die in a fire today, okay, the world would be a better place. Okay, why there will be a lot of short-term pain, and I mean, I, I. I have a relationship with the SEC. Like, you know, I, I, I tell them these things. Like, there will be a lot of pain today, but ultimately the world will be a better place. Why? One, it's the number one platform in the world for scams. <laughs> so, now, if you're going to say, hey, that's a good thing. ICOs are great. Sh sure. Like, it is possible. It's feasible. It's very difficult, but it's possible and feasible for you to run a legitimate ICO. Legitimate in the sense of 
the same company could have raised money through normal venture capitalist means and has a chance of success resulting in the investors in that scheme having a return. Okay. The problem is, is the majority of these schemes that are being put on Ethereum have zero chance of returning any material value to anyone except for the founders who sold out their coins. Okay. None. Like they're, they are not business models that will survive. They are not business models that hold up to scrutiny. They are not business models that will ever be profitable. Why? Super, super, super simple. The majority of business models in the world are more efficient, more effective, cheaper, and easier to deliver to users when they're centralized. So why would you add distribution, <laughs> decentralization, whatever that, that, that means, and you know a... A, a distributed means of delivering the same thing that right now is being delivered in a centralized fashion. Now, if your argument is, oh, it's great. No, the, it's it's competition. They're going to compete against these users. Okay. You can make some philosophical or economic argument that additional competitors in a space are going to be able to compete. But the problem is they're not even competing on the same footing. They've hampered themselves by adding a insulatory decentralized layer process in the means in the way for their customers to actually get access to the product. So they haven't, they haven't competed on the same footing. Like if you made a decentralized or distributed Lyft or Uber, you're not competing against Lyft and Uber. You're competing against other distributed Lyfts and Ubers and Lyft and Uber crush the distributed Lyfts and Ubers because the cost basis is so much lower. Like you're never going to win. You're not going to be able to convince the user to use your distributed Lyft or your distributed Uber when the cost of using your distrib- your distributed system is twice, four times, ten times the, the, the cost basis. It just doesn't work. The only reason why Bitcoin makes any sense, because Bitcoin has tons of costs associated with distribution and um, censorship resistance, is because sound money is a useful thing to have strict rule adherence and distribution for censorship resistance. For the vast majority of business models, adding those two things, assuming you even get them with Ethereum, which you don't because they've demonstrated several times that they have no, that they have no real interest in strict rule adherence, um, you don't actually even get those conditions necessarily, but adding those conditions to your business model to attempt to compete against centralized entities is, oh, it's dubious at best. Like, it's just like, what, like, what are you hoping for guys? You're hoping for some kind of decentralized revolution where the people like have a kumbaya and like sit up, and, like we're all going to triple our cost basis so we can, we can disintermediate the middlemen. No, middlemen are convenient. Middlemen are cheap and middlemen have customer service. I don't buy it. And so, you know, with Ethereum being like a platform for all of these, uh, well, would arguably are unregistered securities and whatnot, and people are buying Ethers to then go buy their favorite ICO, and then the ICO sits on the Ethers because they can't find developers to work on whatever they created, or, you know, they, they can't get a banking relationship or anything like that, but... How does this all unravel? Because we recently saw a post that made the point that it is already unraveling in the sense that the number of Ethereum nodes is dramatically dropping due to its inability, you know, what we were talking about earlier, the, this doesn't scale unless you centralize. Um, and that's kind of on the technical side, but we haven't seen that translate on the economic side into people having a crisis of confidence. Uh, I, I'm seriously considering... Um 
because of my network. I'm actually seriously considering putting a lot of work into getting some FaceTime with the SEC so I can actually you know, sit and explain with them what's going on and why this system is a security and why it promotes securities or unregistered securities. Um, I have to actually find the the will and the effort to do that because, you know, I have a life too. So like I, <laughs> I'd have to like fly and like meet and like it's a huge pain, but I'm seriously considering it. I think if Ethereum or any of its major cohorts gets registered or gets classified as an unregistered security, I think the game ends or comes crashing down very rapidly. Um, if Ethereum is classified as an unregistered security, it has to be delisted from all the exchanges globally in like 30 days, maybe 90 days. Um, uh, and that's just because the SEC has like the longest arm in the world. They will just arrest everyone. Like they'll, they'll just arrest everybody. Um, so, but don't we want this to fail on its own merits without having to have the government come in and shut it down? Um, so it will. Like the the thing is, is it takes it. You have an informational asymmetry. So you have a system that's useless by design. Okay, it's useful for one thing: prototyping how a blockchain might work <laughs> in theory. Okay, or in hypothesis. Okay, and then if you prototyped it and it was like, oh wait, this might actually work, you would immediately never use ether. <laughs> You'd scrap it and start from scratch using like a strong federation, maybe Tendermint. Like you'd start from scratch and you'd build it in Rust or you'd build it in C plus plus, and you would begin again and pay the money upfront so you didn't trust a steaming pile of basically JavaScript. Okay, with a whole bunch of you know, who knows. Um, and so you aren't associated with, with that, you know, kind of possible risk. So what use cases might actually hold up to that? And I, and I'm, I, I always say that the only case where you actually need a blockchain is where there's many competitors who are sometimes counterparties. So there, there maybe are a handful of actual use cases to do that, but if what it's being used for, Ether right now in a lot of cases is what it's being used for is showcasing how internal IT upgrades or how security or infrastructure upgrades inside industries that are not blockchains but are inside industries, how they might be useful. That's not the purpose of this system. It's If, if the system is being used to prototype like how... Uh, shipping can have like how shipping could be more efficient if they all use the same interface there's no reason why the shipping industry would end up using ether it's like an expensive uh, ultimately hard capped doesn't scale version of like a a nightmare of the 1980s okay Uh, there's there's no reason why it would end up using it they they might prototype it but then if they have anyone with a brain they're gonna be like wait a second why wouldn't we just roll something that's more secure uh and has better just computational trade-offs um so i i I, the information the information asymmetry there is the hype train that Vitalik and Evil Lubin started uh, is that they they brainwashed or kind of they, they convinced a large enough group of people who were just technically savvy enough and just 
well-connected enough to be in a position where they understood that this technology or technology in general had the potential to change things. Um, they, they convinced them that the, that the method of that change was going to be ether, when in actuality, the underpinnings of reality make that impossible, okay? Or in the event that it does happen, it's a nightmarish future, okay? <laughs> uh, that trade-off, so the, the collapse condition where the undermining of that fable with the, uh, the components of reality are, uh, it, 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 the market's irrational. That, that, that could take years. That could take tens of years. Um, so I, this is one condition where I, I am a major proponent of people stepping up and putting in the effort to actively undermine that system um, through whatever, but not, not through whatever means necessary, or at least I wouldn't do it through whatever means necessary. But um, um, I, 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 I'm a major proponent of, of it's you have an obligation to society you have an obligation to your fellow man your fellow woman uh you have an obligation to your nation even uh to uh to stop that which is not in your best interests and we're talking about a system that is actively promoting scams uh dilute actively diluting people people are walking around actively diluting people um like they're 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 profiting off the ignorance of others there and the fundamentals and the characteristics of the system don't speak to an actual improvement for anyone except for those who are selfish enough to to take uh to to take those means to to use those means so i i i i'm I, I'm shocked that uh, that some people are so blasé or so passive against uh, against the system's operate the system continuing to do what it does. Like it's actively in it's action it's it's evil. Ethereum is an evil thing. It's it it, it actively is undermining society. Like it's not a good thing. It's bad. It's so bad. Well, it's 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 facing competition now. So. People are talking about EOS, which explicitly has 21 designated validators, and so you're already you're just admitting it's going to be centralized, centralized, you know, like XRP, uh, and from the get go, and you go that way. But um, so doesn't that mean that even if Ethereum gets shut down, we'll just have like obviously, you know, uh, this argument could be used against uh, taking action against any evil, but. Other evils will crop up and continue to fill that information asymmetry. So, so I'm uh, I, I'm fine with that. So, like, what what will happen is Ether gets classified as an unregistered security. The foundation pays a fine. Vitalik, Lubin, and all the people who participated in it are banned for life from ever participating in the regist- in registering a security or uh, per- performing in an unregistered security action ever again. So now all the all the people that are, are Ether are banned from participating in raising money. Okay? Thumbs up. Um, banned from being a director in a company ever again. Banned from participating on a board ever again. So done. Like, those people are done. Like, n- can no longer participate in the governance of a company or a distributed, or a distributed protocol ever again. The SEC can do that, which is amazing <laughs> uh then you have uh that the classification of ether doing that it then 
not retroactively, but then the, the SEC can apply the same uh, reasoning to all the other securities or all the uh, all the other approaches that take the same approach. So EOS or whatever all get applied. Litecoin probably even happens to Litecoin, unfortunately. Uh, maybe, um, may, maybe. Um, and Monero, may, maybe. And then what happens is, is you have uh, Zcash, definitely. Um, you have commiserate effects that occur as a result of the requirement that they be registered as security or be in non-compliance. Um, all the exchanges that have changed their dynamics as a result of the needing to be in compliance. And then the coup de grace, the, because the SEC, the CFTC, and the United States Treasury have all come out and stated that Bitcoin is not to be regulated by the CFTC or the, the SEC, uh, Bitcoin's not subject to those uh, those conditions. And we go back to the game where it actually is the actual reality, which is Bitcoin is the only, and then maybe Monero and maybe Litecoin, uh, the only attempt humanity is making at making a sound money, and all these other things are just companies, okay? which is actually what it is. So companies. And the dynamics associated with companies and their specific products, and then the things trying to free humanity from a, an inflationary government-mandated uh, future. On that note, we'll, we'll close today's episode. <laughs> I think that's perfect. That's fine with me. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Appreciate um, having you. <laughs> great. Hey, th- thanks for wanting to do this. I've actually been having a lot of uh, problems finding people to you know talk about... Uh, you know, the problems with Ethereum, because in general, it tends to be bad uh, for their career to talk bad about Ethereum, because somehow Ethereum is, they're running a company in the crypto space, and they're not happy. So I'm really happy that you were able to come on. So tell my audience a little something uh, about yourself. Uh, how long were you at Blockstream and uh, what you are currently up to? And uh, what is your general expertise in the blockchain crypto space? Um, yeah, so I was at Blockstream for about three years. Uh, I spent two of that in the engineering group. Um, uh, before that, uh, for a year prior to engineering group, I worked, uh, strategy in BD with Alex Fowler and Austin Hill. Um, before that I spent two years at Pantera Capital with, um, Steve Waterhouse, Dan Moorhead and Paul Veratatakit. We built, built a pretty cool, um, pretty cool portfolio companies and got in Bitcoin at like 62 bucks. And that was pretty, that was pretty profitable. Um, and, uh, I've been in Bitcoin for six ish years at this point. Um, uh, nowadays I run a company called mempool mempool partners is the parent company, um, that does, um, architecture, technical consulting, due diligence, and, um, basically cryptographic, you know, risk analysis, stuff like that. We do, we do a whole bunch of things. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I I'm here. I, I don't, I think it's interesting that you say that a lot of uh, people won't, you know, get on screen or won't, won't take, won't get FaceTime in, uh, to talk about Ethereum when fundamentally, um, it's one of the more interesting things to talk about in the sense that it's, uh, so ridiculous. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I don't mind talking about technology. I don't mind talking about the system surrounding technology. So, uh, I, I, I don't, yeah, I have no problem talking about it. All right, that's, uh, that's great. And um, as far as I know, I only have you two prior times to this podcast of like being public. One of them is your recent appearance on the Noted podcast. And prior to that, uh, you and I both debated, debated Roger Veer 
at an Acapulco about a year and a half ago uh, on, you know, on back-to-back days. So I will put both of those uh, in this video description. Uh, if you have any other public appearances, uh, please shoot over the links to me and I will add them in as well. Um, all right, so um, let's begin. So in episode one, well, you know what, let's just, let's just briefly touch upon regulation. Uh, so in episode one of CryptoScam, uh, Ethereum part one, I mean, uh, me and Jason Seibert talked about Ethereum being an unlicensed unregistered security. Uh, I know Jason Seibert was cursing up a storm the other day on my stream when uh, with the recent statements of the SEC that they are, you know, given, a, it looks like they're given Ethereum a pass. It looks like they might say that Ethereum was a security, but for some reason they are not. What are your general views on uh, Ethereum being a security? I mean, you've been around the finance space long enough. Uh, what do you think? So for one, if you actually read the specific language the director used in his talk, um, he actually, uh, he cages his statements by saying that based on my understanding of Ethereum, these things are the case. One of those being that Ethereum is decentralized when it's obviously not. Um, uh, so there's always, there's always the potential for a re-education or just a, a further conversation with that director specifically. And you have to take the commentary that, uh, that he gave with a grain of salt. That's not an official statement or a, an official position of the SEC. That's a statement from a specific director at the SEC. Um, I mean, Structurally, it's, it's fundamentally obvious that it's a, it, it, at the very least when it was founded was an unregistered security. Um, the corporate structuring that the Ethereum Foundation used to try and get around this it would, for any other normal thing, have been constituted as uh, you know, a, uh, an unregistered raise subject to either Reg A or Reg D filing restrictions. And then uh, as, a, as a result of that, you, you can make the argument that um, what follows from the poison tree remains poisoned. And as a result, the structural uh, components that underwrite Ethereum now have the same characteristics from a securities perspective. Um, I, I find that that's probably a reasonable argument given that the, uh, the network has both the topological component and a social political component that uh, basically is determined by essentially a king or a king in his court such that changes to Ethereum are done under fixed specific conditions, often uh, outlined by Lubin or Vitalik. And that's not a system that's decentralized. That's a system with a uh, clear power structure that can be subject to subpoena or, or other kind of control schemes from a government. Uh, in comparison to say Bitcoin, where kind of chaotic consensus reigns. Gotcha. All right, and uh, uh, just to close out on this, uh, how, uh, and I've mentioned this in uh, another podcast when I was arguing with Bruce Fenton over this. Like, look, it is, a lot of money was made in Ethereum. Like, again, you mentioned Joe Lubin, obviously Vitalik, many other people. Uh, so they are financially and uh, freedom motivated to keep Ethereum from being a security. And they can throw a lot of money at, uh, you know, uh, consultants, they can throw a lot of money at lobbyists, including Coin Center, uh, that would then push the agenda that Ethereum is decentralized and that Ethereum is not a security. And it's not really like, I, I, don't, I know I don't have the time to educate the SEC that Ethereum is centralized and not decentralized, 
And I don't even have the technical expertise to claim that I can add, that I can properly educate them on that. And I would really like the Bitcoin core developers to continue developing on Bitcoin and not waste their time sitting in front of the SEC explaining to them that Ethereum is totally centralized from a technological perspective. So how does this like, like, like you see how we're disadvantaged here in explaining the reality of the situation to a regulator that could that has a chance to do the right thing. They're going to do the wrong thing. They're going to screw up. Ethereum is going to continue to grow into this disaster until it implodes. And then people are going to scream, why didn't somebody do something? Why couldn't they know? So you can make the argument that Bitcoin doesn't really care because it's not subject to the same kind of tenets or the same fundamentals. I mean, the crypto market itself will probably get hurt um, somewhat as a result if that if that happens to come true. Um, I don't, the majority of Bitcoin core don't really, or the people that are you know associated with Bitcoin core don't really go out or get out that much. So I, I wouldn't worry about them spending time educating regulators or whatsoever. Like they're, they're more interested in developing on something that, you know, has an opportunity for making humanity better, not just uh, passively or personally, not just passively or personally enriching themselves. Um, I think, uh, I think you'd be surprised sometimes, sometimes, sometimes regulators do get things right. It's not always them. They, they don't always screw it up. And, um, the interesting thing about governments is they always have, um, as long as they remain in power, they always have the ability to, uh, reflexively, um, go back on and change their decisions in light of new information. Um, in the event that Ethereum did collapse, I would be very surprised if you didn't see people going to prison and people disallowed from participating as, you know, directors of companies or ever allowed to raise fundraise ever again. So, um, can, can some of them be prevented from programming ever again? Like they do to hackers? Uh, I mean, what do you mean by, what do you mean by programming? Like Ethereum is basically just like a distributed JavaScript engine with some gating functions. It's not really, like, it's not, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> you, 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 you don't, you, you don't give a lot of credit to the people programming the Ethereum, uh, underlying layer. I would state that the caliber of programmer required to build a um, truly distributed system with fixed immutable rules is a whole nother league above those working on basically Python. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's jump into, uh, you know, the... You know, the main topic for this Ethereum crypto scam part two, which is the concept of decentralized Turing complete smart contracts. And I'm not sure Ethereum is Turing complete anymore, right? Didn't the DAO eliminate all Turing completeness after that disaster? Or because ERC20 tokens are not Turing complete by any means. I mean, you shouldn't, you shouldn't take the marketing verbatim used to describe what Ethereum does for what Ethereum actually is. I mean, Ethereum essentially now is just a mechanism for raising money for alternative projects. It's basically what it's used for. Um, or, and, and liquidity on exchanges. That's the two things it's used for right now. Um, we see this, any, any actual use case, like I think CryptoKittens was the biggest use of Ethereum ever. Like actual use, and it's down 98.5% from its peak. Like it's not, there's no, there's no use of this system in the sense that, as, as we talked about before this, um, it's not... It's not really a system that in the event that you have a fixed number of counterparties you need to do business with, you, you wouldn't 
you wouldn't necessarily subject yourself to the open rules of a public network because you're subsidizing other people's behaviors on the network and inherently exposing yourself to the risks of those other people in the same network. So you would just fundamentally, it's, it's in your best interest as a business to make a tightly controlled private network in, instead of a, with, with potential interoperability with external networks than it does to, to run on a public network. So this, this was my critique in like 2014 about application tokens. There's no reason, if, if you only need to periodically utilize an application layer, let's say Ethereum qualifies as an application layer, which it might not, but let's say it does, there'd be no reason to ever hold any Ether except under conditions where you do need to interoperate with external networks that also happen to be using Ether. So if you just did all, if you did the vast majority of your uh, business amongst a fixed group of people, which is often how supply chains, general industries and stuff work, and then periodically you happen to have to do some business with someone outside of that network, um, you would then go to the open market or some other, some, some sort of open network and process a transaction or process a mechanism by which you interact with this external party. You wouldn't sit there waiting and, or like, it's not in your best interest to, to sit on an asset that exposes you to, to, to counterparty risk, exposes you to custodial risk, exposes you to price risk. There's a whole bunch of problems with, with sitting on application tokens. Um, it's actually a major problem in a, in a substantial number of business models in the ICO space as well. Um, well, yeah, no, the uh, crypto scam episode, uh, Ethereum part four is going to focus on the idiocracy of like, like complete stupidity of application tokens and why they make no sense. So I completely agree with you there. The vast majority of them make no sense. Some of them you can maybe make an argument that they might work, but most of them definitely. Yeah, there are, there's always some like fringe minor cases. Uh, and okay, to be more specific, I'm talking about application tokens that have an independent, independent market uh, speculative driven price. Uh, like I understand why a Las Vegas casino needs an application token. Uh, I understand why, you know, airline miles have, a, have their own internal token, right? But those are generally pegged to something. They're not, you know, freely traded upon in the open market. Yeah, it's, a, it's, ser it's service and utility dependent, obviously. So, yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. So I, I, I mean, it's uh, there's there's a lot we could unpack there, Tom. Oh yeah, no, I know. That's why. That's why. Let's let's get back into the concept of uh, smart contracts. So can you define? Uh, so Ethereum initially claimed to be Turing complete. Uh, can you just define that for us? And uh, like, are they actually still? Turing complete because I don't think the ERC twenty tokens are uh, because the DAO kind of you know eliminated that. I mean, I think it's Turing complete up to the point where your contract runs out of money, like it can keep function calling and keep performing outputs and keep calling itself until it runs out of money. Um, so I mean, and in in the sense that you happen to have enough money, and the limitations around the economic rules of the system allow you to process specific kinds of um, outputs or inputs. Um, yes, like it 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 structurally does, but there are obvious limitations based on the changes that um, the developer community of Ethereum mandated. Uh, as a result of some of the exploits that the gray hats were uh, were running on the network, uh, which is one of the problems why you can't why you can't sync a full node in Ethereum anymore. Right, that's the technological issue of Ethereum, which I will I am going to explore in Crypto Scam Ethereum Part Three. Uh, yeah. Now we can touch upon that as well. 
but it, uh, so yeah, you, it's, it's almost impossible to uh, sync a node in Ethereum from scratch, right? Like getting every transaction from the first transaction up to the current transaction, you better be in Hong Kong or somewhere in San Francisco with like a 300 or like a terabyte per second like bandwidth speed in order to download the data faster than it's being created on Ethereum right now. Yeah, it's actually, it's, a, it's the verification actually. Um, that's the biggest issue. Oh, is that the stupidity of having blocks every 12 seconds? No, no, it's the, um, that's inherently the stupidity of mandating that everyone in a network verify everyone else's entire contract. Um, right, right. And, and this is the idea of why in the world do you have to decentralize smart contracts? Because to me, smart contracts is just a self-executing contract. A soda machine, uh, and I see you've been drinking a soda, uh, like if you bought that soda from a soda machine, that is a smart contract. Uh, now, if you are really, really, you know, paranoid and you don't want the government to know that you're buying a soda, something that the government should probably stop people from buying, but that's a different discussion. Uh, but uh, if you don't want the government to know that you're buying a soda, you can use, you know, you're using cash uh, and the government doesn't know you're buying cash. And if the cash ever disappeared and you were forced to use a credit card to buy that soda, you now have Bitcoin as this anonymous decentralized value transfer. But Ethereum is trying to make a claim that that soda machine, that contract between you and the soda coming out of the machine needs to be decentralized. And that calculation would need to be recalculated not only by every node, but pretty much forever, every block, right? So essentially, it's the idea that, you, that the entirety of every contract needs to be validated by everyone, yes. And perpetually, right? Not just once. And yeah, I mean, essentially, yes. Right. And um, so, uh, I, and that's crazy, right? So everyone's coming up. So obviously no one has yet put soda machines on the Ethereum blockchain, but they have been trying to do, you know, let's say, I mean, Airbnb is actually a debatable example, but something like uh, Slocket, uh, you know, you entering somebody else's house through a smart lock and that needs to be saved forever and ever and ever, uh, recalculated by every node and stored for the history of time. And the question is, for what reason? I mean, I understand the argument. It's, it's so that you can have full validation of everything that's ever occurred ever. Um, and, and, you know, maybe there's some merit in that, but there are horrendous costs associated with it that make it nonsensical. Um, this is why this is why Bitcoin validates just outputs, not the full script structure, um, which is you know super compelling. It's why things like the Lightning Network are super compelling, is it because you can have all these higher order script structures and arrangements occur between people in uh, in higher layers, and ultimately, what's validated is just the settlement of a transaction, not the um, not the entirety of the whole interaction. All right. Uh, so, uh, and, and again, like, I, I don't know how much we can talk about this, but to me, uh, like the soda machine example is an example of a smart contract that clearly doesn't need to be decentralized. Uh, I can take it to the opposite extreme. Uh, I mean, you got to be trustless. Like, it'd be great if it was trustless, but it doesn't need to be decentralized. Right, but, but we're kind of okay trusting a soda machine. In fact, you want to trust that soda machine, right? Because if you put in a dollar and your soda doesn't come out, 
in the world of Ethereum, what do you do? No, you have, well, you have, you have Vitalik. Vitalik's an example. <laughs> All right. In the world where Vitalik eventually, you know, like rage, rage uh, you know, has a nervous breakdown, which I wouldn't be surprised if he has. Uh, I mean, in a world where Vitalik isn't there, what do you do? Like, uh, and again, we're talking about something bigger than, uh, I'm going to talk about like Uber and Airbnb as well. But, yeah. um, but anyway, that's the, that's the most simple smart contract that clearly doesn't need to be decentralized because decentralization is a tool to prevent censorship. Would you agree? Um, that's one of the things you can, you can gain from it. Um, it's also a way of ensuring that everyone else is playing by the same rules. So it's not just for censorship resistance. Censorship resistance can be an example of it. But for example, you could have a censorship present network where everyone, uh, where, which is decentralized in the sense that everyone's enforcing the same rule, a rule set across uh, you know, various jurisdictions, um, but, fund but fundamentally meets some minimum distribution criteria such that it's sufficiently difficult to take the network down or change the rules of the game uh, uh, for the for an outcome whereby everyone can validate everyone else's behaviors. Gotcha. All right. So, so what I'm about to say could be very controversial. I have made this argument uh, privately. I've never made this argument publicly, but here it is. Uh, to me, the soda machine is the simplest type of smart contract that Ethereum will tell you needs to be decentralized and the majority of the world will tell you that it doesn't need to be. If you swing to the opposite extreme, uh, what kind of a contract is at the highest risk of censorship resistance? And now we have to consider a contract that is illegal across the world, most of the world, 99.9% .9 of the world. And now we're talking about something like a murder for hire contract and assassination contract. I mean, it could be, I mean, there's, there's other examples that aren't necessarily highly illegal, like, um, like extremely high value um, financial, con uh, financial contracts uh, can have the same kind of characteristics where the parties involved on the losing end of the contract, for example, would like to see the contract not faithfully executed, whereas those who are on the winning side of it would like to see it fa uh, faithfully executed. And as a result, you have like this incentive structure problem. Um, that the, the same incentive structure problem happens to also exist in those kinds of dark markets. Yeah, I can see that on a very, very high level. Uh, probably like what happened uh, during the 2008 financial crash when some of those credit default swap contracts were so massive that like the execution of some of those contracts, like literally like the big institutions, that had a much bigger, uh, you know, standing with the U.S. government and regulators were basically able to get around uh, some of those executions or at least delay them long enough for the firms that they owed money to to, like, collapse. Uh, so I can definitely see it on that scale and other than the illegal uh, contracts of, uh, like, again, like the assassination that I mentioned, and uh, so I can kind of see Ethereum being useful to decentralize those contracts. But like there is a giant gap between a soda machine and an assassination contract or a giant like financial contract massive enough to where you say, no, 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 no. 
the losing party uh, should not have the ability to use all the resources at their disposal to potentially change the laws to alter the outcome of that contract. Um, and I see Ethereum's use case of decentralizing this to the, to the need of the technology, uh, like this massive uh, energy output of the technology and the fact that they may go proof of stake, which is a whole other debate. Even if you go proof of stake on a, on a massive scale like Ethereum, that's still you know, a lot of energy uh, being used, not, energy in K, in, not, not by measuring electricity use, but a lot of energy of people running and storing all of that data. Uh, that's still a very like, like data and energy and financially expensive. Uh, so I can only see Ethereum be literally sitting just below these massive financial contracts and, uh, and like illicit contracts. And there's not that many illicit contracts, guys. Like governments want contracts. Like governments encourage contracts of all kinds. It's commerce. Like the currency that you use for those contracts may be censored, but the contracts themselves are generally encouraged and not at risk of censorship. I mean, so um, another, another problem you have um, is because the assets that you're describing external to the network aren't native to the system, um, your enforceability over the outcome uh, requires... I can't really think of any, any condition that like requires oracleization, which means you've introduced some degree of trust <clears throat> either in a cross-network manner or with an underlying uh, externally custodialized asset or some kind of uh, externally verifiable or non-verifiable condition. So um, the introduction of trust in those scenarios uh, just undermines a lot of the um, preconditions for why these things might be useful in the short in the short to medium term, until you actually have a until you actually have vi a, a massive amount of you know solely listed on one of these networks. Like so, the assets themselves, the ownership is solely delineated on these networks, uh, such that you know private key control on the network means actual control. Um, then you're going to have to exit to the app to, to, to auxiliary legal or auxiliary settlement conditions anyway, which means you might as well have done whatever contractual arrangement was happening external to this network. Right. No, I'm definitely with you there. Um, so let, let's get into, you know, a lot of these projects, right? Uh, so uh, which one do you want to tackle? Airbnb, Uber, or supply chains? They're I mean, all the same. I mean, so what's the Airbnb case? The, air, the argument is, is that you could load all of the houses into like this network. So you load all the property in, into this network. And then as a result of it being in the network, you can enter into contractual arrangements with people or other contracts such that like the cash flow for the asset is paid into the contract and then paid out to the user. Like I, I, I don't actually understand what the like I don't, I don't understand what you mean by the Airbnb case. Well, the Airbnb case is that I mean Airbnb is a leech and they are a, a gross middleman that rips off uh, both the uh, homeowner and the user, and uh, that this middleman of Airbnb needs to be eliminated so that you have a you know a better flow of the business model 
directly from you know consumer to the producer. I mean, this is the renter. You ever actually used Airbnb? I mean, oh, all the, I've used it all the time. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't quite understand that argument actually. Like, um, or at the very least, I think there's definitely some trade-offs. Like, uh, fundamentally, the uh, fundamentally centralization is usually a useful thing. Like. Airbnb does arbitration, Airbnb does fraud protection, Airbnb uh, manages the money in escrow on your behalf. Uh, like the, the centralized entity that provides the service in this case fulfills the interface between you, the user, the, the, the platform, the specific asset you're planning on leveraging for you know living or, whatever, or staying somewhere, and then also happens to manage the interface on your behalf with say, the government in the event that something bad happens or uh, the fire department in the event that something bad happens, the insurance company in the event that something bad happens. So having that centralized entity that's actually, that, you know, ma manages all those different conditions on your behalf actually cuts costs and raises efficiency in a lot of cases. Like if every property in the world was on Airbnb, okay, <clears throat> in such a manner that we understood specifically what Airbnb's cost was, okay, and every other property owner knew that every property was shared across them across um was, was known in an area then competition has to occur inside that context now you can make the argument that airbnb might might choose some rent seeking activity or as a monopoly set rents too high but then the government can step in and be like no you're actually only well, airbnb, well, our, airbnb doesn't set the rate the the, the well, rent but Airbnb sets the rate for what they take as a service charge. Oh, their fee. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. So in the event that Airbnb became a monopoly, okay, the government could step in and be like, well, all right, fine. We have a natural monopoly in property provisioning, which we don't. I don't think we ever will. But we have a natural monopoly in property provisioning. As a result, we're going to fix the profit rates that this company can actually earn as a result of being a corporation and still get the gains from it being a centralization, uh, you know, efficiency so I, I don't necessarily buy the Airbnb case because the pain, let alone what network you build for facilitating the contracting arrangements, faithful contracting arrangements between people such that they can rent one another's property, discovery of those people and all that process, the pain, the bootstrapping of that system, the costs associated with the bootstrapping of that system for any given user, maybe even any given class of users is probably not even worth it. You're actually probably losing money as a result of the time and the relative in supply on the competing network. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense unless you think the government can't impose conditions that limit the monopoly rent seeking behaviors of Airbnb. Right. No, I, I agree with you there. Uh, so I was, uh, uh, clearly I think uh, the Airbnb or the Uber case in a decentralized form uh, would be totally insane. However, I will say that they could work, in areas where Airbnb or Uber is illegal, right? Like uh, uh, then it becomes your only option and you're willing to take on the risk of not having that uh, middleman that is helping you. And, so, you're, uh, so you're a user breaking the law? Correct. Well, both, okay. right? The, the user, uh, well, probably the renter, well, uh, is, uh, is breaking the law. Uh, the user can probably get away with it. Uh, but the renter, but certainly the renter is breaking the law and you're willing to take that on. Uh, I will say the, the only other cases like Airbnb used to be a lot better before the government mandated Airbnb to collect taxes. 
and not, and then Airbnb was not all that much more competitive than hotels uh, when they started taking taxes. Uh, but again, that's something that you have to deal with, and uh, you can also, you know, try and uh, petition your local government or your state government in order to, you know, drop those taxes and maybe drop those taxes on hotels as well. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, that I, mean, I mean, if you're going to advocate that the uh, that the use case for the Airbnb system is local regulatory arbitrage to evade taxes, uh, you're going to have a hard time keeping your business around. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? People don't realize that it's a business, right? If you start out creating a decentralized Airbnb, do you watch Silicon Valley? I have not seen the most recent season. Oh, okay. Uh, so I'm not, not going to spoil it for you. But, but it's the same concept, right? If you're going to set out and you're going to build uh, a decentralized Uber, so first of all, you have to ICO because no VC is dumb enough to give you money. Um, but if you're going to decentralize uh, uh, Uber, uh, you are the company, right? You're still the Uber, right? You're still responsible for that underlying code. Now you could, <clears throat> you can potentially build hardware delineated networks that have strict governance, mechanical governance structures that still pay you as the creator of the network while you no longer being in control, but that's very difficult. Uh, that, that's difficult, and that's also, try explaining that in a court of law. That, yeah, that, you, that, that, that you're collecting money, you're collecting a fee from every transaction, but yet you have no control of the system. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll probably go to jail. <laughs> uh, like, like, you can't win, and that's what I tell these people. If you succeed, you will fail. Uh, and no one will care about you personally. You're not going to be Ross Ulbrich. Uh, you don't get that many of them. I mean, often. there's also the problem that a lot of these networks aren't really particularly designed with hardcore resilience in mind. So, um, like, shut, shutting them down is trivial if you're a large enough state actor. Right. And, and the only way you can get away with it is if you built the system uh, and not collect fees going forward. Uh, kind of like Bitcoin, right? Where the majority of Bitcoin contributors uh, to the code don't actually get paid, right? There is a handful of developers at Blockstream, a handful of developers at Chainco Labs, you know, maybe one or two other people are randomly sponsored by other by by, uh, by initiative, but mo the majority of the people are volunteering. Now, they're volunteering. A lot of them, you know, just want to work on a project. Some of them are heavily invested in Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is the native currency of the Bitcoin blockchain. It has to be that way because it's trying to be better money. Uh, now, these things, uh, this is why a lot of them end up ICOing to decentralize this. And at the end of the day, how are you going to get the necessary uh, brain power to fix a bug in the future of a decentralized Uber? Because it, it's not going to work on an inherent uh, Uber token. It's, it's only it's going to work as Bitcoin, as the medium of exchange that everyone is going to have in the future to run a decentralized Airbnb. So where is the incentive to fix a major problem? If a major problem arises, you're totally screwed. Well, I mean, we might get to test this hypothesis with, uh, you know, companies like EOS and 
uh, Telegram raising billions. So Wait, uh, are we going to test anything in EOS other than like how to get the system up and running? <laughs> Uh, I, mean, I, I don't I don't keep up to date on them. I just know that they have certain goals, um, whether or not they're feasible, even with that amount of money, I'm not sure. Man, so, ever I, since I, Ethereum. I don't, spend, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about them. Yeah, I think the most successful projects uh, since Ethereum uh, have been trying to build a better version of Ethereum. So yeah, we have- You can make that argument, sure. Yeah. Uh, because nothing built on Ethereum is useful. Uh, so the next thing is, you know, EOS and, uh, uh, well, Tezos never actually launched, but uh, Cardano and uh, Waves was, you know, in the news for a little while. Uh, everyone is trying to just build a better Ethereum. Ethereum Classic is still around. What do you think of Ethereum Classic? I mean, it's, it's got slightly better morality than Ethereum. So I, I don't really know what, it, I mean, it's not, I don't really have a, I don't really have a perspective on the asset. I don't trade. So it's not, that's not my, that's not my purview. So, I mean, I, I like, you gotta keep in mind, I don't particularly care about any of these other projects. Like um, in, in the event that they happen to attempt to state things that's false about them, I'll spend the time uh, and in such a manner that it affects my business or affects Bitcoin. Like I, I sometimes take the time to go out of my way to learn about them such that I can refute those, those statements. Um, but often I just find that these are people just looking to get wealthy the fastest way possible. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that's how I feel about the entire space. I uh, want to touch upon maybe supply chains being decentralized, uh, you know, through Ethereum. And is there any kind uh, of... Ethereum? No, definitely not. Definitely not. Now, strong distribution along supply chain where you get enforcement of laws and governance as a result of a fixed mechanical hardware solution. Sure, I'm on board. Um, but you don't get that guarantee from Ethereum. Uh, now, if, you're gonna, if we're, if we're going to talk about like the potential for governments to start loading law enforcement and um, mechanical rules around trade into these kinds of systems that have strict rule adherence and consequences for violating the rules, then sure, like that's interesting. But that's not what we're talking about. Like we're talking about companies creating parallel ledgers when the actual shit's also running in their main and their other old system, the main system. They're not talking about moving their whole business inside this, you know, monstrosity. They're, they're just testing to see if they get, you know, if they get a better, like a better uh, Excel spreadsheet out of it. You don't get any, you don't get any actual gain from it. Not any more that you would gain from, you know, having one or two companies sharing, sharing the same, you know, rule mediated Excel spreadsheet. But if you were talking about five, six, seven, ten governments, deciding that trade rules amongst them and the mechanics for those trade rules are all loaded into hardware specific mechanized structures, then you can start to see some interesting things come from that. But that's very different than what we're talking about right now. Right. So, uh, so, so the view is uh, if Ethereum, uh, if you can get a bunch of companies to uh, use the Ethereum blockchain, how quickly will they all just get on a conference call and go, why the hell are we using this ridiculousness uh, uh, plus its currency? Why can't we just take the open source code and build something we all share as one database? Well, well I mean, I agree with Jimmy Song here when he spoke on stage of consensus. There's no evidence anyone's building anything on this. Not anything they're going to use. Like, 
it's a bunch of people all talking about how they're building these platforms for people to use, but fundamentally it's a solution looking for problems. Like <laughs> still without a structural change in the way in which laws are enforced or the way in which laws are made or the way in which companies uh, choose to interact with one another as groups, um, you, you're, you're just going to fundamentally get to the same place that R3 is at right now, which is, oh, wait a second. You're telling me that companies don't want to cut their profits to slightly improve the global efficiency for everyone else? Who would have thought? Like, you're, you, you face like this, you face this disjointed problem and coordinating companies is extremely difficult. Um, uh, where the coordination costs and the efficiency costs to distributing these business models uh, is higher than the price people are willing to pay for their IT upgrades. So it's just not, it's just not fundamentally interesting for the majority of challenges. Um, and a lot of the companies that are asking me for help right now and asking me for you know, uh, architectural designs and such, a lot of the challenges they need don't require what, you know, the, what Jim, like Jimmy loves talking about this, what require a blockchain. They required like some degree of applied cryptography and then someone to figure out the coordination challenges of the industry. They don't require this open platform. They don't require all these rules. They require really simple, straightforward, applied cryptography rule sets, mechanically enforced via hardware, and mechanisms by which, you know, they can agree to changes in the rules. That's what companies want. Like, they don't, they don't need this, you know, flowery world computer vision that Vitalik has, you know, spun. They, they want, you know, they want an IT upgrade. All right. Uh, so, uh, so what happens next? Like, what do you think? Uh, I mean, we can touch upon, uh, I, I mean, the floor is yours now. I, I mean, I know it technologically can't scale, uh, but uh, I mean, they got all these great grant plans between, uh, you, you know, sharding and potentially going to proof of stake. I don't know how in the world they can go to proof of stake. Their miners are making a lot of money. I, I, I actually take the stance that you just shouldn't talk about it. Like, why are we talking about it? It's, it's kind of boring. Unless you're talking about how you're going to raise money on the ERC-20. Sure. Like, cool, bro. Congrats. You're going to have a smart contract. We're going to pay you an Ether and you're going to convert it to USD so you have a bank account. Assuming you can get a bank account because you're an ICO. Like, it, it's not interesting. Like, it's, it's, fun, it's fundamentally not a particularly interesting project. It's like a misbehaving toy. Like, um, so it's not a, I, I don't know, like, so I, I, I just take the approach to like, I, I, I just don't talk about it. Like, I, I really don't. Um, gotcha. Oh, and here, here, here's the thing I was going to say before. So if you are one of these companies that is building something using Ethereum and you're trying to sell it to a client, you almost have to keep a record of every transaction locally. You can't trust Ethereum and outsource all of your transactions, especially when there's real, potentially real money on the line, because those transactions can disappear. Like how well, people blindly trust uh, Ethereum and that the record is gonna be there? I mean, I would just ask you like, what business model are you talking about, Tone? Who are these companies? <laughs> well, well, any of them, let's take, let's take Civic, for example, right? They seem to be pretty popular out in San Francisco. Uh, Vinnie Leham's company doing identities. They're using an ERC-20 token. I don't know what the hell they need a token for. I mean, Vinnie tried to explain this to me several times. I still don't understand why they need their own token. 
but every transaction with that token is stored in the Ethereum, you know, global uh, world computer. Don't Civic have to keep a record of every one of those transactions locally? You can't trust so, Ethereum to be there in a so year. So they're using Ethereum for a timestamp to audit log? Oracle's um, been doing that for 30 years. <laughs> well, oh, what? yes. I mean, so, so, so has Excel. You know, I, I, I can always go and take a look when I entered something if, into a if cell. That's, if that's the use case, that's hilarious. Like, okay, thanks. Thanks for reinventing Oracle's business model. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't understand the specifics of, um, of uh, Civic's uh, identity solution or whatever they're calling it. Um, I advise an identity company called the Shift Network, S-H-Y-F-T dot network. Um, and I, I helped design some of their systems architecture and stuff. And um, uh, the, like the, 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 the ultimate goal for any of these systems that actually have a business model, and I actually do think compliance and KYC AML uh, for legitimate transactions might, might, might have some room because there is, there is some improvements. There is an IT upgrade that's required for the distribution across the banks. So they, they might actually be willing to pay, for example, $5 for a validated transaction when it comes to getting good identity information, if the cost right now is $10, they might pay that. They might be willing to pay that money. Um, whether or not that's a good thing, it depends on the transaction and what we're talking about. Um, and uh, I mean, fundamentally, the, those networks that are run by companies uh, that want to minimize their security risks and improve their distribution such that it's difficult for the company to, the, for the technology component or the company to get taken down uh, the best you can do is just strong distribution via um, a hardware methodology. So um, using a time-stamped audit log, which is what you're saying they're doing, is kind of like, okay, cool, congrats. Like you have a, you have a, you have a time-stamped audit log. There are hundreds of companies that do that. You could equally use Bitcoin to do that. Um, facilitating that service doesn't make your service valuable. Like, it's a thing you can do. It is a service you can provide. But if your actual business model isn't a business model, it's it, that that's not what makes a business model. Timestamp. All right. So, uh, so where do you think this goes next? I mean, I I know I've been wrong. I didn't think Ethereum would make it this long. I didn't yeah. even think Ethereum was going to launch. So, so how bad can this get? Like, like where do you think this is going? Like, what do you think the future is for that entire? you know, Ethereum slash ICO world? I mean, the market can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. Um, so... Yeah, thank God I, I haven't bet against Ethereum yet. I would not um, be solvent by now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, there's, there's, there's a lot we can talk about. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of on the same page with Jimmy. It's like, uh, I'd like to see a business model that works. Like... We, they, they lauded. The other, other than consulting, I mean, consensus has like 800 employees and they consult in the Ethereum world. Oh, and they get paid handsomely. Oh uh, yeah. I can, I can imagine. Uh, I mean like even, even like, like, like six, seven months ago, I was meeting like interns, like there's universities that are giving, you know, college credit to these students that go in and like intern consensus i mean it's 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 out of I, mean, it's, I mean tone if you if you analyze every bubble in history the same kind of mean the same kind of mania persisted 
like I, I just, I just think the majority of the people are forgetting that the mania will end at some point. I don't know the timing on that. Like, oh, I'm fully the, aware. I have one of my, yeah. one of the, one of the presentations that I do around the world is called the inevitable ICO bubble. And I just compare these ICOs to the dot coms of the late nineties. So, I mean, you can for a lot of them. That's probably true. And some companies in the late nineties did make it. Um, but <clears throat> structurally a lot of <clears throat> business in New York, San Francisco, Austin, Hong Kong, Shanghai, Germany, the UK. Um, <clears throat> everyone forgets that in 20 years, we're still going to be doing business together. We're all still going to be here, okay? And we're all still going to be working. And if you torch your reputation by building a fucking company that does decentralized locks, okay? Because <laughs> you thought that was going to be the future. And it blew up in your face. And this is true for hundreds, if not thousands of business models in our case, in, our, in, our, in, in the industry now. Um, what will happen is, is there'll be, at some point, the, the industry will fail. The majority of the, company, majority of the companies will fail in the same kind of way that the, um, the you know, the dot-com bubble mania, the bond bubble mania, the property manias have all happened. And then you have a bunch of unemployed people with skills that are useless. Um, and then they, they don't really participate in the market anymore. Um, so, and in a lot of cases, um, they, they're actually removed from the market permanently in the sense that governments come and enforce action upon them because they made incorrect claims to their clients or, you know, violated some myriad of laws as a result of their, uh, you know, <clears throat> approach. Um, so I choose, I, I choose to not really let that worry me. I, I, I think fundamentally you have an obligation to try and help people to avoid scams. So, you know, part of, part of what I, my well, business that, does. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's what this podcast does. That's yeah. what my YouTube channel tries yeah. to do. Yeah. You know, I, I think I've convinced enough people to slowly become, you know, understanding the difference between Bitcoin and everything else. <laughs> There's a big difference there. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think the worst case scenario in the, in the inevitable blowback is the blowback also affects Bitcoin, but I think Bitcoin's fundamentals will kind of, it'll allow it to weather that. I'm, I'm not, I'm not worried about Bitcoin's health in the long run from that. Yeah, no, I, I agree there as well. Okay. So we're, we're coming up on an hour, so we're going to close out. Uh, okay. You want to touch upon, you know, the, uh, the technology of Ethereum and their inability to scale technologically. Uh, just, I mean, uh, just you throw your thoughts on that for the viewers. I mean, if they make the trade-offs that Vitalik and Vlad and they all talk about, um, sure, you can make trade-offs to make it scale, but is the system interesting as a result of the fact that you made those trade-offs? And that's, that's even setting aside the fact that you, the system in its current state, okay? So, um, <clears throat> I, I mean, sure, you can increase the trust requirements of the system, and as a result of increasing the trust requirements, the system get additional scale. Congratulations, like, cool. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not interesting, uh, it, that's a huge component of what underwrote the the um, the block size debate in Bitcoin. It's like it's not interesting if you change the, the topology or the characteristics of the network. Um, I, I'd say that uh, the the design of the system as it is now definitely can't scale. We saw that with CryptoKitties. One application having any use flooded their whole network. Um, <clears throat> and I would say that. Uh, from a political and also technological stance, the if you actually can enforce the hard fork rule structure, um, 
via any kind of kingly or other consensus method that's force mediated. And the system is certainly uninteresting. It represents uh, central point of control. Gotcha. All right. Um, on this note, uh, I, I guess we can go ahead and end this episode. Uh, this was uh, Crypto Scam Ethereum Part 2, where we tried to explain the inefficiency of putting everything into decentralized smart contracts. And I usually, you know, separate uh, decentralized smart contracts from smart contracts because there's nothing wrong with self-executing contracts, again, like a soda machine. But when you start to decentralize it, you realize uh, the technological expense that's involved and you have to realize like what is actually in need of decentralization and what isn't. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Johnny Dilly for coming on and, and uh, helping me out and helping you, uh, helping me walk you through this. Uh, Johnny, uh, tell uh, my audience where people can like find more of your work or find you. I mean, you can Google me if you want. But uh, you probably won't be able to get in touch with me. Um, if you know somebody that knows me, you might want to get in touch with me. But please only do so like, if you really need my help. Oh, yeah. And uh, don't count me. I, I can barely get a hold of them. Uh, we don't exactly use the same communication apps. Uh, mm. But, yeah. So, uh, Johnny and your consulting company is? Mempool. Mempool. Uh, all right. So, uh, check it out. And, uh, hey, thanks so much for joining me on this episode. And hey guys, so thank you so much uh, for once again uh, watching another episode of Crypto Scam. Uh, I am bringing back the show. I'm gonna come up with more creative guests. I'm gonna try to finally close out Ethereum and then try to go after some other projects. I don't know, maybe Factum's still around. That was the initial plan. I definitely wanna talk about uh, cloud mining and uh, some of the other projects going on in the crypto space. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, and I'll see you all on the next episode of Crypto Scam.